1: Another theologian wrote this, and I like this. He said, what a comfort it is that he surrenders this work to no other hands than his own. He may give his angels charge concerning us when we are in danger, but he keeps our purification beneath his special superintendence." Don't you love that? In other words, he gives the angels charge over you in many, many areas to come and bless your life, to be involved in your life. But in this area of fiery trials, God keeps his hand on that. That's not given to an angel. God keeps his hand. on Somebody once said that he keeps one hand on the thermostat and one hand on you. I like that forms a cross. I like that. You see? So notice he'll, he'll be like a refiner, but also he will be like a fuller soap. A launderer was hired by people to make clothes clean and white. God tells the priest that though they were corrupt, the day will come when he will purify them and restore them to right relationship with him in verse three. Now look at verse four. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem. Notice will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come near you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien because they did not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For verse 6, I am the Lord and what saints? I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. The, I don't, God says, I don't change. The Lord says, I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed. I have written in my Bible, O oh, Rodney. You can put your name there. Don't put my name there. <laughs> put your name there. Therefore, I am not consumed. Why? Because God doesn't change yet from the days of your fathers. You have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Now, listen, give me your attention. When the people were in Babylonian captivity, get this. They learned the magic arts and they got into witchcraft and drug use. God delivered them. And it is amazing to me that the people were practicing sorcery after they had received a 70 year spanking. Can you imagine getting whooped for 70 years? Now, I remember my mama used to whoop me and it felt like 70 years. It wasn't that long, I know, but it felt like that. But but the point of a spanking is that you learn something from it so that you don't go and do the same things that you had already been doing. That's the point of it. The people come out of a 70-year spanking in Babylonian captivity. They get back into their homeland where there's blessings, where the temple's rebuilt, where they have the opportunity to worship, where they have the opportunity to be God's people again. And what do they do? They get back into sorcery. They get back into witchcraft. They get back into idolatry. Now, in the New Testament, the Bible talks about sorcery, and it's the Greek word pharmakia. If you've been around here, you know that. It's the Greek word pharmakia. We have the word what? Pharmacy, pharmacology, it speaks of drug use or the selling of drugs. The Bible says we as Christians ought not to have anything to do with sorcery. Might I say, Christian, never. You never need to have anything to do with witchcraft and all this weird stuff. Ouija boards, psychic hotlines, voodoo, weird stuff. Don't go near it. Have nothing to do with it. Somebody say amen, please. don't You don't need to be bothered with that it was just a game i know you know look i got to move on you know what i'm saying these things have spiritual connotations these things have spiritual ramifications christian you don't want anything to do with that these people got back in the land and they got back into sorcery and adultery. We just read it in verse 5. You see that? And adultery and perjury and extortion as people would take advantage of widows and orphans and people who take advantage of the less fortunate in the world. And the reason they can live this way is because they have no fear of God. You see that in verse 5? Because they do not fear me. For I am the Lord. I love verse 6. Underline and highlight it. I love verse 6. I am the Lord. I do not change. I love that. Two things will never change, saints. God will never change because the Bible says he is the same yesterday. What? Today and forever. And God's word will never change. Those two things will never change. God and his word. The Bible says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass. The immutability. Here's your word for the day. The immutability, meaning it does not change, of the word of God, it doesn't change. In other words, what God has spoken cannot be broken. Amen, saints? What God has spoken cannot be broken. Now, that works two ways. Listen, because what God has spoken against, sin and compromise, won't be broken. I mean, why do some people think, you know, well, you know, concerning my situation, I mean, you know, I'm special and, and, and God understands that, you know, I'm doing this thing that's simple. And I but but I'm special and God understands, you know, where I am and what I do. And God knows my heart and I'm basically good. And, you know, all of this stuff. Listen, what God has spoken cannot be broken. If God says something is sin, then it's sin and you can't break it and you're not that special. I'm just trying to build you up, folks. You're not that special. What God has spoken cannot be broken. But listen, that also works like this. And I think this is a great thing. What God has spoken about our salvation, justification, sanctification, and glorification, what God has spoken cannot be broken. That's good news. Thank God for that. You know, God, God, God's not going to change his mind. God says we're justified. God's not going to change his mind and say, "You know what, psych, you're not justified." <laughs> nah, 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 psych. It was just a joke. You know, it's like you remember you used to say, "Psych," did you always say, "Psych"? You know, psych your mind. You know, God doesn't go, "Psych your mind." You know, you're not justified. I changed my mind. Or the rapture of the church. You know what, psych? I think I'll leave y'all here for the tribulation. God doesn't do that. What God has spoken, his promises are yes and amen. What God has spoken cannot be broken. So that's a good thing as well. God's word does not change. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word won't change. God says, I change not, and that's why Jacob is not consumed. Now, look at verse 8. Can I tell you before we get to these next verses, I have been waiting for months. To get to verse eight. Now look at it, all right? Woo, I'm so excited I can't even speak. I mean, I've been waiting for months. Look at verse eight. We pick up our study in verse eight. Saints, if you're there, say amen. Will a man rob God? Yet, you know what? Stop right there. Give me your attention. <laughs> you have heard this verse so many times. You have heard this, these verses so many times, you probably don't even need to read them. But just for the sake of clarification, which I hope to bring tonight, we'll read it. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say... In what way have we robbed you? In what, saints? Tithes and offerings. You are y'all probably like, I wish I hadn't come to church tonight. It ain't going to be pretty. I told you this book is brutal, didn't I? And the brutality continues. You've robbed me in tithes and offerings. In verse 9, you are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. So that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says who, saints, the Lord of hosts. Now, i got to tell you, I'm telling my wife tonight as we were getting ready. I read this uh, chapter so many times over the last several weeks. And uh, today, I'm telling Obara, I'm reading this chapter. And honestly, um, after a, a serious, long, detailed study of this chapter, and of these verses particularly, um, I have to say that sadness um, floods my heart. Um, and, and I'm sad because I know that I personally have... Had so much wrong teaching as, a result, as it relates to the Bible as a whole. I mean, honestly, when I came into a Bible teaching church, I told you guys I had to learn, I had to unlearn a lot of stuff and then learn what the Bible said. Can I get a witness? Because I, I, I thought I knew stuff before I came into a Bible teaching I'm like, oh, I'm so dumb, I don't know anything. And in this chapter, in these verses, I have received so much wrong teaching. And quite honestly, I'm confident that many, many, many have. And so, and and, and I read this and and I think, you know, it's with verses like this, uh, particularly this verse, these verses, that, that people have been beaten and bludgeoned and coerced and forced into giving their money to the church and giving their money to ministries as a result of people taking God's word and twisting it to fit their own personal gain and their own personal needs. Now, if I seem a little bit passionate tonight, that's because I am. Because I, I'm, I'm hurt by that. Because as a pastor, any shepherd should be hurt when people are beaten and people are wounded. By, by the very thing that is supposed to bring healing, God's word. And so verses like these, honestly, you know, it, it, I don't know. You got your pen? Got your pen? Let's talk about a few things, first of all, all right? Let's lay good groundwork before we actually get into it, all right? First of all, the word tithe comes from the Hebrew word that means 10 means 10. In the Bible, a tithe is a tenth or 10% of one's grain, fruit, animals, or money. Tithing, listen close, dates predates, if you will, the law of Moses. You might remember the story when Abraham came back from the battle of the kings, he is met by Melchizedek and he gives him a 10th of the spoil. So tithing actually is pre-law. It predates the laws of Moses. You might remember in Genesis chapter 28, Jacob is running from Esau. He falls asleep at Bethel and he sees a stairway to heaven and he vows to give God a Tithe. Later, tithing was incorporated into the laws of Moses as part of Israel's worship, and Israel was commanded to bring a tenth of their increase to the Lord. One lamb out of ten, one cow out of ten, one cucumber out of ten, one egg out of ten, one grain out of ten. If you had ten herbs, one herb out of ten. Now, if they didn't want to carry, say they wanted to tithe a lamb or a cow, and they didn't want to carry the cow to the temple, they had the option to sell the animal and give the money to the temple, although there would have been a 20% upcharge or a surcharge for that. A Jewish scholar by the name of Charles Feinberg did an excellent piece on listing, listen close, listing the, the several tithes in Israel. He said the offering in Israel was the first fruits, not less than one sixteenth of the corn, the wine, and the oil. There were also several kinds of tithes. Number one, there was the tithe of one tenth of the remainder after the first fruits were taken. This amount went to the Levites, for their livelihood. You'll find that in Leviticus chapter 27. Secondly, a tenth was paid by the Levites to the priest. You'll find that in Numbers chapter 18. Thirdly, the second tenth was paid by the congregation for the needs of the Levites and their families at the tabernacle. You'll find that in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Y'all still with me? Say amen. When you brought your tithe, you were allowed to eat of your tithe. You were allowed to eat of it. So you could bring your lamb to the temple. And after they sacrificed it, you could stay and have lamb chops. According to the Bible. Fourthly, another tithe was every third year for the poor. All in all, under the laws of Moses, all in all, the tithe was about 30% of their increase or income. Now listen closely. My following comments will be shocking to some. I'm certain that if any minister, preacher, Pasta will hear my following comments. He'll probably start pulling their hair out. Tithing, listen close. As you study the New Testament, you do not find tithing anywhere. Tithing is not enforced in the New Testament. Tithing is not enforced. Listen, The New Testament principle now, now, now I want you to zoom in close. The New Testament principle isn't tithing. And that's good news for some, huh? Isn't tithing. The New Testament principle, listen at this, is more than tithing. Darn, Rodney. Is more than tithing. The New Testament principle isn't tithing. The New Testament principle is giving. Is giving. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. I have it on the screen for you. It reads this On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something store up as he may prosper that they that there be no collections when I come let me read that again on the first day of the week let each one of you lay something aside storing up as he may prosper that there be no collections when I come if you're taking notes start taking notes now talking about our giving how are we to give under this thing called grace under the New Testament how are we to give number one if you're taking notes, our giving must be periodic. Paul establishes that right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Our giving must be periodic. In other words, the first day of the week. Did you notice that? Secondly, our giving must be planned. Lay something aside. It must be planned. Listen, saints, if you're preparing to give when you come to church, take care of that at home. You want to plan it at home. You know, oftentimes, and I know it's done with the right heart and nothing weird about it, but I I would from time to time see people and they come to church and they're sitting there by the tithe box, writing out their tithe or sitting over here and writing out their tithe and getting their check ready and stuff. And I come up and, you know, honestly, when I see them writing a check or something like that, I want to come up and go, hey, how you doing? and What's your name? And when I see them writing a check, I get all weird and awkward and everything. You know what I mean? So I just kind of go the other way because I don't want to see what they're giving. so, so, So the point is, Paul says, look, lay something aside. Plan it before you come. Not only should your giving be periodic and planned, but our giving must be proportional, proportional, as God has prospered you. You know, some people can't afford 10%, and some people can afford more than 10%. Listen, to the person that can't afford 10%, God isn't holding them hostage. But to the person who can't afford more than 10%, God requires them to give more than 10%. Remember, the principle isn't tithing in the New Testament. The principle is giving. It's giving. I mean, listen, if you have someone making $10,000 a year and trying to keep the law of tithing, that's $1,000 a year, and that's a lot of money and a tremendous struggle. Now, if you have someone making $10 million a year and all they have to tithe is $1 million and they get to keep $9 million, listen, it's easy to live off of $9 million. (laughs) Please say amen, somebody. I don't know about you. Look, I can live off of a million, a million, not a million, a million I mean, it's kind of easy. So you see the difference. I mean, in proportion. So one person can't afford to give a thousand a year and they find it difficult. Another person is wealthy enough to live off of 10% of their income and they can tithe 90% of their income. Again, the principle in the New Testament is not tithing. It's giving. It's giving. You know, there are plenty of people, as a matter of fact, I don't know, but there are plenty, whether you know, but there are plenty of people who have given 90% of their income and lived off of 10. Did you know the founder of Quaker Oats decided as a young man to keep 10% and to give 90%? The founder of Quaker Oats, oatmeal. And God said, I like Quaker Oats. <laughs> and, and it's a multi-million-dollar industry today the founder of Hershey chocolate. Determined to give, a, give as a young boy, 10% of every dime and every nickel to the Lord. Did you know that? The president and founder of Wrigley's Gum did the same thing. Listen at this. True story. Around the turn of the century, there was a guy who owned a fledgling business. He said, Lord, I know it's important to tithe, but as far as the profits of my little business go, I'm not going to give you 10%. I'll keep 10%. And from this day on, as long as I live, you, Lord, will receive not." 90% of the profits of this company, he became a multi-multi-millionaire on 10%, and this man is better known as Lord and Taylor. He named the department store, first of all, the Lord, because it was his intention to put God first, amen, saints, and Mr. Taylor was his name. So, I mean, what, what a gift. What a gift of giving. This guy says, look, I'm going to live off of 10%. And God, you can have 90%. Man, what did God for more people like, listen, if you have that gift, please exercise it. I mean, what to God more people were like that? But 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 the point is giving and one guy struggles and one guy doesn't even feel it financially. And honestly, listen, some of this tithe teaching makes it seem like all you have to do. Look, correct me if I'm wrong. Not now, but later. You know, they make it seem like all this tithe teaching, they make it seem like all you have to do is give 10 percent and you'll be acceptable to the Lord. That's all you have to do is just give your 10 percent and you're acceptable to the Lord. Listen, the Bible does not teach that. If you have not given your heart to the Lord, then you keep your 10%. Now, I realize this is not a popular teaching from lots of preachers, but it's the truth. And then I've heard things like, you know, well, if you're on public assistance and you give your 10%, I have heard this. I've heard people tell other people this. If you're on public assistance, you, you make sure you give your tenth to the Lord. And, and, well, pastor, should I pay my electric bill? They're going to cut my lights off, or should I tithe? I have heard people say, you tithe, and God will keep the electric bill on. Is that awful? That's terrible. I mean, a person that can't afford it, they'll tell them, oh, well, you tithe, and God will keep. That's ridiculous. You see, God is more interested in our heart, saints. He certainly doesn't want your wallet if he does not have your heart.